Vatseps, Nietzsche's, your boy, a skeptical human here. Uh, thank you all for joining me for another session of news commentary and analysis. Today we're going to be talking about four big stories. Number one, we're going to talk about some recent examples of how I think outrage culture has been going too far. Uh, we're going to talk about the historic meeting between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un of North Korea, and calls made by House Republicans and Trump supporters to actually award Trump the Nobel Peace Prize for his strenuous efforts to bring peace to the Korean Peninsula. We're going to talk about some recent EPA deregulation under Scott Pruitt. Uh, I know, who could have foreseen such a thing? Uh, finally, we're going to talk about a recent study which found that CO2 injections uh, into the body can actually reduce body fat. So uh, good news for Donald Trump and Chris Christie this week. So let's start out by talking about some recent examples of outrage culture going too far. And by outrage culture, I mean, of course, this trend we've been seeing where mobs of people get completely outraged at something that somebody says or wrote either recently or perhaps even in the distant past, calling for this person to resign, step down, be fired, trying to get their financial sponsors to pull the rug out from under them, uh, and demanding a public apology. So one recent example is Samantha Bee on her program calling Ivanka Trump a feckless cunt in the context of talking about immigration policies which pull parents away from their children. Ivanka posted a picture of her smiling with her baby. Samantha B called her a feckless cunt. A lot of people were outraged. Oh my goodness, how could she use such a naughty word? Samantha B is a comedian, okay? This is what comedians do. They push the boundaries. They offend people. Uh, this, I think, is just a stupid controversy, uh, and that's really all I have to say about that. Another recent example is Al Franken. This is kind of, this was like a month or two ago, I guess. I'm a little late to the party here. You'll have to forgive me. But Al Franken, there was a picture that surfaced of him. Uh, it was just a silly little picture. There was some woman sleeping. She was wearing a bulletproof vest and he kind of like snuck up on her and they took a picture of him like, ho ho, like motioning, like he was grabbing her tits. But this woman was wearing a bulletproof vest. So even if his hands were on her chest, he wouldn't have been making contact with her flesh. I mean, there was Kevlar and a metal plate in between his hands and her body, and he was just, like, motioning. It was just a silly little picture and practical joke. Uh, and he ultimately ended up resigning from the Senate. At the Senate, House of Representatives, whichever it is, pretty sure it's Senate, he ended up ultimately resigning in combination because of the outrage that was engendered as a result of this picture and some allegations of uh, some sexual misconduct he was involved in. But the outrage over this particular picture, I think, is just stupid. Because, you know, who hasn't done silly things like this, taken some silly pictures? Um, just another stupid example I've seen recently. Two more, and then we'll talk more generally about outrage culture. Uh, another example, Sam Cedar, host of the Majority Report with Sam Cedar. He's, uh, he's also an MSNBC contributor. Some, some people dug up a tweet that he posted years ago. Like, I don't know what kind of a douchebag would just go through somebody's timeline, pour through them, and just try to find something offensive out of thousands of tweets. But somebody found the time to do this, and they found a tweet where Sam Cedar, he was basically mocking uh, people who were defending, uh, what was that prick's name? Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, he was caught doing some kind of, like, twisted sexual shit. Some people were defending him because he was a great filmmaker in their eyes. Sam Cedar mocking the people who uh, were defending Polanski in this way, jokingly said, if my daughter ever got raped, I would, I would hope it was somebody who had uh, the filmmaking skill of Roman Polanski. It was something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, but that was generally 
what it was talking about. This is another stupid example. People were calling for him to be fired. They were saying you should apologize. Another ridiculous example because he he wasn't even making a serious point here. He was make he was jokingly mocking people who were going who were bending over backwards to defend Polanski in ridiculous ways, and that's what he was doing here. People still nonetheless called for him to be fired. MSNBC did actually fire him, but they quickly reinstated him as a contributor because they they actually understood the context behind what happened. And they were like, oh, well, this is stupid. So kudos to MSNBC for actually uh, not caving to the... Well, I guess they did cave to the public mob, but rescinding their caving, I guess we could say. Uh, kudos to them. Uh, that kind of courage is pretty rare in this uh, climate where, you know, people get their panties in a twist over every little minor infraction people make. So round of applause, MSNBC. Um, final example I want to talk about is Jank Uger, uh, host of the Young Turks, obviously. I believe he was one of the co-founders of uh, Justice Democrats. Somebody, he had this old blog where like 10 years ago, maybe even longer than 10 years ago, this was back when he was a Republican. He was living in Miami. He posted some blog posts where he was talking about how he's trying to go out and get laid and pick up women and so forth. Uh, and he was discussing on the blog how he was having, he like he wasn't getting as much sex as he wanted or the women weren't as receptive as as he was enthusiastic, or it was something, something to the effect of uh, women are genetically inferior because they aren't as interested in having sex as men. It was something to that effect. Clearly, it was a tongue-in-cheek statement. He wasn't making like some actual biological uh, conjecture about how women are genetically actually inferior. This was just like a, a tongue-in-cheek remark that he made over a decade ago. Nonetheless, that didn't stop Justice Democrats from uh, issuing a public statement condemning him. Ultimately, uh, as Kyle Kalinske described on his channel, uh, this led the Board of Justice Democrats to vote to get rid of him. And Kyle Kalinske had a disagreement with them over this. He ended up resigning as well in protest because they just didn't see eye to eye on this, which I think was a stupid move on his part, but that's, uh, that's a rant for another day. But yeah, ultimately, Jank ended up uh, he either got fired or stepped down from from Justice Democrats because of some silly little remark he made about uh, how, like, women don't want to have sex as badly as he does in Miami ten years ago. Completely ridiculous nonsense. So I want to just make some general points about outrage culture, uh, the sort of climate that we find ourselves in. Um, first off, I want to point out that it, it seems like some people are just going out of their way to try to become offended. You know... People are pouring through people's Twitter feeds and timelines and reading thousands of tweets, digging up old articles that they wrote years ago. And they're, they're just making these enormous efforts just to find something to become outraged about. What kind, of a, what kind of a fucking loser does something like this? Who wakes up one day and they're like, you know, what should I do today? You know, I could work out, go for a bike ride. It's a beautiful day. Maybe I could work on that project I've been post-posting. You know what? Uh, I think I'm actually going to try to get outraged at things on the internet that somebody said 10 years ago. That's what I'm going to spend my time doing. Wow. Uh, cool, dude. Awesome. Have fun with that. Another thing I would point out is that, uh, you know, I don't think it's fair to have this kind of impossibly high standard where people in the public spotlight need to have a completely unblemished record, where their past needs to be completely stain-free, and if we find anything offensive, they need, they need to come before the public and prostrate themselves and beg for us to to, uh, to grant them an apology. Every single person has said things that they regret. We've done things in our past that were offensive, 
We've said things that are ridiculous or controversial or obscene. Uh, we've done things that we're ashamed of. Every single person has done things like this. So ultimately, this is, I think, a tactic that's going to uh, cause everybody to be in this position of having things to apologize for and uh, having people try to get them fired and get their advertisers to abandon them. So, you know, when we're operating with an impossibly high standard, what kind of a standard is this? If nobody can actually be this perfect, stain-free person, then why are we even operating with the assumption that anybody should be this way? I think it's an incredibly stupid uh, mentality that people have, where they expect this of people in the public spotlight. And this mentality, uh, or I guess I should say this approach, where people, you know, go out of their way to try to search for things that offend them, it reminds me of an anecdote that Christopher Hitchens used to make uh, in his debates on free speech. He gave, he told the story of, I can't remember his name, um, one of the early, I think it was one of the earliest dictionaries that was made. The guy who first uh, made the dictionary, there were these upper class ladies who came to visit him and congratulate him and say, you know, you did a wonderful job with this dictionary. And specifically, they said, uh, we want to congratulate you for not including any obscene words in your dictionary. To which uh, the compiler of this dictionary responded, well, ladies, I would like to congratulate you for looking them up. Now, the point of this anecdote that Christopher Hitchens used to make is that people, certain people, will go out of their way. They will make a conscious, deliberate effort to find something to get offended about. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do to please these people. And I think we just, we shouldn't take people like this as seriously. I think the solution going forward is number one, for both people in the general public and people who are specifically the victims of these campaigns, where, you know, people are demanding apologies and trying to get them fired. People in, the, in this position shouldn't so quickly cave to the pressure. Uh, you know, I wish more people, when people would come to them, over little things like this and say, we demand an apology. I wish more people would come out and just say, you can suck my dick. You're not going to get an apology, you sensitive pussy. Uh, you know, how great would that be? Um, I think the other part of the solution is for the people who actually get offended in this way, the people who go out of their way to find things to get offended about, stop doing this, you fucking douche. Spend your time in a more productive, uh, fulfilling way, and just stop being such an easily offended cunt. Uh... So yeah, that's about all I have to say on outrage culture. So let's switch gears. I want to talk about this study that it, uh, was recently released. Um, now the researchers, what they did, they basically injected carbon dioxide into people's belly fat. And what they found is that the fats uh, on the side that people were injected in, there was actually more fat loss on that side than on the, the side where they were injected with the sham treatments. Now, when I first read this article, I was thinking to myself, you know, perhaps we can kill two birds with one stone here. You know, we can sequester carbon from the atmosphere, uh, thus reducing the impact of global warming, and we can also uh, chip away at the obesity epidemic that's plaguing this country. So, uh, that's kind of cool. Um, another thing I was thinking, uh, I actually just made a video the other day talking about how, you know, debunking the idea that global warming is actually going to be good for us, you know, people saying carbon dioxide, it's actually a wonderful thing. I was thinking to myself, oh, great, uh, this study just provides these people with more ammunition because they're going to come out and say, carbon dioxide, not so bad, actually, because uh, look at the effects it has on obesity. Something to point out about this study is uh, 
This is example number 6,300,007 of people in the media taking a study and basically blowing its findings out of proportion. Just publishing headlines that say things like carbon dioxide uh, reduces fat and so forth without getting into the actual specifics of the study, which found, yes, there was an effect. I'm pretty sure it was statistically significant, but it was a very small effect. It's not like you inject a little CO2 and you just you go from this morbidly obese, disgusting fat ass to uh, you're just like, you know, uh, a cover girl. You're a fitness model. Just like, boom. You inject it and you're just like, you're gorgeous and everything's perfect. Not at all like that. There was a very small reduction, and uh, I'm pretty sure it didn't even last long term. I think it was just a temporary thing. So, uh, I just remembered something hilarious. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but I remembered this this cartoon I saw where, uh, <laughs> pretty much making the same point that I'm making here. There was a, let's see if I can remember this just off the cuff here. So there was a cartoon where uh, a scientist was reporting. He was like, we found that this compound uh, shrunk tumor cells in mice by 10%. And then it shows the reporter in the next panel. The headline is like, cancer cured. He's like, we didn't cure cancer, uh, you fucking idiot. And he's, and then it's like, uh, sorry, I'm really butchering remembering this off the top of my head. So he says, we didn't cure cancer. We're just, we're just moving faster towards a cure. And then it's like, in the next panel, the headlines of the newspaper says, time travel discovered. And the scientist is like, fuck you. And then the headline is, uh, Scientist Rapes Reporter. Hilarious. One of my favorite cartoons ever. And I think, I think it does a great job of illustrating this idea that, you know, laymen, people in the media industry, they take a very small finding under restricted limited conditions and they blow it up to, boom, miracle cure discovered, how to melt your belly fat away and so forth. And this is, this is one example of this. Uh, because like I said, the effect was very small. Something else I wanted to point out. Um, I think turning to treatments like this, where, you know, you get some sort of an injection to melt your fat away, you get liposuction, these sort of cosmetic treatments, I think, are such a stupid idea. Because if you if you don't change the underlying habits and uh, patterns of behavior that led you to become obese in the first place, you're just going to end up in exactly the same position, months, perhaps years down the line. You know, if you keep eating the same way that you've been eating, and exercising to the same degree that you have been, uh why you get the liposuction you get the injections or whatever okay your fat goes away it's just gonna get it's just gonna come back if you don't change the actual habits um pull the marco rubio on you there you know don't get me wrong some people have shitty genes some people have genetics they have hormones uh their body is designed in such a way that you know they can eat the same amount that we eat and they put on fat more readily than some of us do I think this has to do with our metabolism, the way our hormones function, whatever it is. Some people obviously have a more difficult time uh, losing weight and staying in good shape than others. With that said, there are plenty of people who are out of shape, who are grotesque, disgusting blobs, uh, purely as a result of shitty habits. You know, we've all seen the person who's a gigantic fatty, and they can never be seen without a sugar-filled soda. Uh, and they haven't drank a glass of water since 1997. So, you know, yes, I think this is it's an interesting treatment. It's not nearly what some people are portraying it to be. But ultimately, I think, why even turn to these sort of things? Why not just change your habits in the first place so that you can actually lose weight and keep it off uh, in the long term? So, uh, 
With that said, we're going to switch gears and talk about uh, Donald Trump's historic meeting with Kim Jong-un. And uh, specifically, I want to start off by focusing on how certain House Republicans and Trump supporters are actually calling for Donald Trump to be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize because of his efforts here. Um, You know, I think this is so... I think it's such a silly thing that they're calling for because nothing has actually been accomplished yet. All they're doing is meeting. And just like a week ago, the meeting got canceled, and now the meeting is back on, apparently. We're going to meet with somebody. We're going to have a conversation. Oh my goodness, give this man a Nobel Peace Prize. Why? What if the conversation leads nowhere? What if they get so so irate at each other during the conversation that they break out in a fist fight? By the way, I would pay good money to see that. Donald Trump in a fist fight with Kim Jong-un? Ooh. What, could you imagine if, like, the problems on the world stage got resolved that way? Instead of, you know, sending people to die in pointless wars, we just, like, set up a boxing ring or a UFC cage, and they just, like, they just got in a good old-fashioned fight? That'd be awesome. Anyway, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah, like I was saying, before I was pondering that delightful possibility. Uh, so, it, it's just a meeting. It's like, nothing might even result from it. And think about this. What if we did, what if we were like, you know what, let's give him a Nobel Peace Prize because of this meeting. It's so historic. What if we did that? And then not only did nothing come from the meeting, but what if, what if the United States and North Korea ended up going to war with one another? Imagine somebody getting a Nobel Peace Prize for his relations with the country that he shortly after uh, went to war with. Complete insanity. I know. But I mean, if, if we, if we said we should give him this award, if we actually did it, that's a possibility. Another reason I think this is such a ridiculous thing to call for is that if you just look at the at the things that Donald Trump said during his campaign when he was running for president, and look at some of the actions that he's taken, uh, it's I mean the idea of awarding this man a Nobel Peace Prize is just complete nonsense. So Air Wars, it's an organization that, uh, as the name suggests, basically takes a look at uh, how many people are dying from airstrikes. What they found is that in Trump's first seven months in office, his first seven months, he killed three to 5,000 civilians as a result of his, his airstrikes in Iraq uh, and Syria. I think it was Iraq and Syria. Yeah, Iraq and Syria. His first seven months, he killed more people than Obama killed with airstrikes than Obama did in his entire almost three years fighting against ISIS. And the reason that uh, he's killed so many more people in a short span of time is that he basically relaxed the rules of engagement. So, you know, before they launch an airstrike, they think, how many civilians are at risk? Are people going to die? Is it worth getting this guy and some people die in the process? Basically, that risk assessment process, uh, the standards have been relaxed under the Trump administration. And uh, he's therefore just ramping up the drone strikes and launching more of them. On top of that, the United States is currently involved in at least seven wars, depending upon how you define wars. Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, Yemen, Somalia, I can't even fucking keep track of them all because there are so many, uh, and Libya. Uh, seven different wars this president is presiding over. And people are like, let's give this man a Nobel Peace Prize. This is complete insanity. On top of that, during the campaign, remember that Donald Trump talked about not just killing terrorists, but he was like, we should kill the families of terrorists. Death by association. Nobel Peace Prize, let's give it to him. Uh, He also strongly considered bringing back torture. At times, he was like, not such a good idea, we shouldn't do it. At other times, he was just just giving these effusive uh, speeches talking about the value of torture, talking about how 
It's a brilliant tool to extract information from people. It's so effective. The idea that this guy, of all people, deserves a Nobel Peace Prize is a sick joke. Uh, with all of that said, I mean, I am, I truly am rooting for some good outcome to come here. Like, I don't just want Trump to fail at everything he does, you know? North Korea, it is a, it's basically a prison nation. The people there are slaves. Con they're just constantly watching their back. They're constantly afraid of saying the wrong thing and offending the dear leader. It's just endless praise. You know, watch some documentaries on the subjects. Read some books of people who escaped from the country. Especially people who were in the political prisons that they have there, where it's just slave labor, you get killed for the most minor infraction. Obviously, I want things to go good here. I want some sort of peaceful outcome uh, to emerge from this meeting. Hopefully, you know, maybe North Korea can loosen up uh, the economic rules in the country. Maybe they can, you know, maybe there's even a possibility of working towards democracy. Might seem like a pipe dream, I know. Possibly, absolutely nothing could result from this. But, uh, you know, genuinely, I do hope some good does come from this meeting. And uh, if it does, yeah, I will congratulate Trump. And I will say that it's a good thing uh, without qualification. So the final story I'm going to talk about today is uh, Scott Pruitt, uh, the head of the EPA. His EPA recently slashed some environmental regulations. And, uh, you know, the, the window I want to view this particular story through, in addition to just talking about how, you know, oh, this sucks, you know, sucks for the environments. Uh, Specifically, I want to focus on how this week, like while this policy was unveiled, the mainstream media was focusing on comparatively trivial EPA and Scott Pruitt related scandals. This is something that Vox pointed out in a recent article by Umar Irfan. I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly correctly. Uh, so I'm going to read a quote to you that basically just like describes the recent policy change. As a result of this policy change, quote, the only harm that counts according to the EPA for many of these substances is direct contact with these hazardous chemicals, like if they fall on you. Indirect exposure through soil contamination or air pollution wouldn't factor into the EPA's decision of whether to restrict or ban a particular compound, end quote. Okay, this is the Environmental Protection Agency we're talking about. And they just made it easier for uh, industry polluters to release compounds to the environments, into the atmosphere, into the surrounding soil, perhaps leaching into the water. They just made it easier for them to do this. Okay, these are not the actions of the Environmental Protection Agency. They are doing the opposite of protecting the environment by doing this. Stating the obvious, I know, but, uh, I mean, apparently the mainstream media doesn't want to focus on this uh, as much as comparatively trivial scandals, so someone has to point it out. So, that's where I come in, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, this story literally makes me sick. I know. Uh, literally. I mean, if you live next to a plant where they're pumping shit out into the atmosphere, some compounds that they can now release, maybe because it, you know, makes their manufacturing process cheaper or whatever, if you live right next to that factory, this policy change can literally cause you to become sick, ill, give you cancer, whatever it may be. Uh, so great job, guys, there over at the EPA. Um, you know, this is, this is, I guess I should back up a little, talk about some of the, some of the micro scandals that the media has been focusing on, to the exclusion of this story. So there were, there were a couple of Scott Pruitt related scandals that the media did see fit to, uh, pay attention to. Number one, Prepare yourself to be completely outraged and just dumbfounded. Scott Pruitt had some of his staff members fetch snacks for him. 
oh my goodness, this is unacceptable. Taxpayer dollars being spent to provide snacks. Uh, this cannot stand. I think, it's, I think it's time for a revolution because this is just completely unacceptable. Uh, Scott Pruitt was also trying to get his hands on a used Trump Hotel mattress. I don't want to know what he wants to do with the mattress. I don't know why, of all places, of all places, you'd want to get a mattress from a hotel. Like, those are the dirtiest mattresses on the planet, probably. It's just, it's just like a semen-stained, uh, disgusting piece of fabric and cotton. But you know, whatever floats your boat, Scott Pruitt. Um, okay, yeah, some taxpayer dollars perhaps have been wasted on these things. These things are a million times less important than serious policy changes, like we just made it easier for industry to release pollutants into the air, soil, potentially leaching into the drinking water, and the air that you breathe. This is much more important than spending small amounts of taxpayer dollars on frivolous things like, you know, first-class first flights, uh, a soundproof phone booth, things like that. I mean, sure, it's perhaps it's a waste of taxpayer dollars, but which story do you think is more important? Which do you think should dominate the mainstream media airwaves? I think the question answers itself. And, you know, this is just this is part of the much broader trends where all across the board you see the media focusing on minutiae, focusing on what I consider trivial stories, things that don't challenge the status quo, things that, things that don't threaten the existing power structure and the people who are in, in uh, positions of power. Like, you know, celebrity trials. Whenever a celebrity's on trial, that shit is all over the news 24-7. Uh, I mean, Wolf Blitzer probably dreams about those things at night. You know, it's just like, it's all they think and talk about, it seems like at times. Royal weddings. Who the fuck could possibly even pretend like they give a fuck about a royal wedding? You know, this is like, the this is the last thing I want to hear about when I turn on the news. Oh, look at all the money that they're spending on uh, on flowers. Look at this diamond ring. Shove that diamond ring up your ass. I don't care. Tell me about some actual sub substantive policy changes that are, you know, taking place in our government. I don't want to know about what kind of fucking suit this guy's going to wear, what it costs, what kind of bouquets they have. I do not care. And I don't think anyone cares when they, when they turn on the news and see this shit. Seriously. Who do you know who's like, oh my god, the royal wedding. I just want to watch coverage of it all day when there's much more important things going on. No, I don't, I don't think people even want to see this shit. Perhaps I'm wrong about that. Maybe there's a market for it. Maybe that's why they do air those kind of stories. But I think it's a complete waste of time, nonetheless. And then you have things like sex scandals with politicians. Um, you know, just endless, nonstop coverage. Just looking at all the grisly details of, you know, what he did with his genitals, what kind of a picture he sent. Just like, tell us more about it. <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of sick if you think about it, how we, we just put such a microscope on... Uh, on the private sex lives of politicians. There's a great Noam Chomsky quote. Whenever, whenever I see the media focusing on a sex scandal, I think about this quote. As you wait in suspense while I take a drink. Uh, Noam Chomsky once said, Whenever the press focuses on the sex lives of politicians, reach for your wallet and see who's, see who's pulling out your money. Because these are not the issues that matter to people. That's a rough paraphrase, but that's pretty much what the quote was. And I think that's spot on. Like I said... Stories like this, they don't threaten the status quo. They don't threaten the established structure that allows these media institutions to thrive. So it doesn't hurt them to spend time focusing on these things. Whereas if they focus on things that would actually threaten their bottom line, things like, you know, taxation, policies that could hurt the parent companies that are involved in things like, you know, like the auto industry or polluting industries, things like this that the parent companies could take a profit hit from, 
apparently they're not too interested in focusing on in great detail. But if it's, you know, a sex scandal, what something did with his penis, and where the semen stain is and isn't, you know, things like this, they will just endlessly uh, fixate upon. And uh, I think it's a waste of our time. And I think we should demand more of the mainstream media, and I think we should turn to alternative sources of media to get actual substantive uh, policy analysis. Final thing I want to point out about this, uh, just like generally speaking about Scott Pruitt and the Trump administration, you know, appointing Scott Pruitt to the head of the EPA, it's just part of the broader trend. I'm making sure that this is recording. I was just thinking to myself, wouldn't it suck if I was just in the zone here, ranting and raving, and I just wasn't even recording. We're in the clear, thankfully, so... Uh, like I was saying, appointing a person like Scott Pruitt to head the EPA, you know, this is a person who sued the EPA, I think, eight or nine times uh, in his past before he was appointed to the EPA. This guy is not a friend of the environment. Uh, I think it goes without saying, seeing some of the actions that he's taken. And Rick Perry, head of the Department of Energy, this guy wanted to get rid of the Department of Energy. You remember that moment during the debates when he ran for president where he was a... Uh, he was trying to talk about which government agencies he wanted to eliminate, and he couldn't even remember the three or five of them. He was like, uh, let's get this clear, ladies and gentlemen. This is my Rick Perry impression. Not very good. Uh, we're going to get rid of a couple government agencies. The Department of Education, uh, the Department of Energy, and uh, uh, what was the third one? Oops. He, he like couldn't even remember the three or five organizations. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, oops. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't even remember which organizations he wanted to get rid of. This guy is a buffoon. This, I, would, I would not trust Rick Perry to drive me to the airport. Yet here he is heading an organization that he previously campaigned on eliminating. Uh, what a joke the Trump administration is. What a joke Rick Perry and Scott Pruitt are. Uh, what a joke the mainstream media is. Uh, a lot of jokes in the news today. In the news this week. I guess that's the... Uh, the moral of the story. A lot of jokes. A lot of sick jokes. So, on that very hilarious note, uh, that's all I had to say about these stories in the news. But, before you close this off and go uh, turn on some uh, sick pornography, or whatever you're about to do after this, uh, I'm going to be recording right after this a, a piece of patron-only bonus content. So what I'm going to start doing, um, I'm going to start recording content that's available to patrons in the $2 or more tier. Here's just a sampling of some of the fantastic content that non-patrons are missing out on, while the rest of us are having the time of our lives. Other times, there were actual intentional changes made. Like, people purposefully changed things that the text said. Uh, one reason they did this was to resolve theological disputes at the time. You know, there were competing factions of religious people. Some believed this, some believed the other thing. And so what they did is they went in and they, they modified the manuscripts so that they reflected their particular religious worldview. We focus so much on what's the GDP in our country? How does that compare to other nations? Uh, you know, what is job growth like? Well, what's the unemployment rate? These figures are often you know, shown to the public as if they're like the key metrics that we should focus upon. Yet they don't capture so much of what's important in society. Uh, you know, things like how are we treating the environment? What kind of intellectual progress are we making? These things are, you know, what's the happiness like of the people who uh, live in the country? Uh, job satisfaction, things like, things like this are completely not captured if we focus purely on these economic metrics. And uh, I think he makes a great point. So he talks... 
in the book about how clownfish actually are known to feed their anemones. So they'll get some food, they'll bring it to the mouth of the anemone, and they'll feed it so that they can, you know, nourish it, uh, provide it with sustenance. Sometimes, on the other hand, when the clownfish is hungry, he'll actually steal food from the mouth of the anemone. So the anemone catches it with its tentacles. It's like, let's go, bitch, time for a meal. <laughs> the clownfish will just come in, yoink, and just steal it and eat it for himself. Ugh, excuse me. Disgusting. You've sickened me. A skeptical human. Imagine getting struck by lightning 10,000 times more powerful than that. What would happen? Would you explode? Would you just completely get vaporized? <laughs> you, just, you just get atomized? You guys can always float suggestions to me. I read pretty much all of the YouTube comments people post. I can't respond to them all, obviously, because I get so many, because I'm just such a fucking superstar. Uh, no, but you know, I get a lot of comments and I can't spend all my time responding to them. But whenever people give suggestions, I do read them and I do consider making a video on that subject, especially if it's interesting. So keep the suggestions coming, and I will consider them. Fear of public speaking is one of the most widespread fears. And when you actually do it, it's crazy to think that that's the case, because once you start doing it, it's generally fine. It's usually just the anticipation beforehand, I've found. It's thinking about what's going to happen, thinking about, oh god, I'm going to look uncomfortable, and they'll see it. It's usually just the anticipation, the suspense beforehand. That's where the fear comes in. Once you start, once you're up there, generally, not only do you just like handle it and you do fine, generally I find that I enjoy it. And it's just the build up to it that makes me uncomfortable. You can access all of these bonus videos by becoming a patron in the $2 or more tier at patreon.com slash a skeptical human. I look forward to seeing you over there. Later.